Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. I have to confess that I... I use these summer series as a way of working through my own stuff. My daughter, who is over here, this is, I think, our ninth summer coming and being able to speak at these things, and she always comes and just hangs out, and it's always fun. But in my office building that I moved into about a year ago, um, about six months ago, I found out that on the first floor, it's a four-story building, on the first floor there was a cafe, and it was empty, so I would walk down there at times. In fact, one of my clients brought my attention to it and she asked, what's going on with the cafe? Is someone moving in, is someone moving out? Because it was just standing empty. And so we went down and looked at it and it's like, I got no idea. And so for a couple months, I would just go down there on my lunch break and sit down and it's this nice quiet space. It has all the refrigeration and display cabinets and tables and chairs and espresso machine and refrigerators. It's a fully stocked cafe, it's wonderful. Um, and after being down there for about two months on, off and on, I all of a sudden one day went, huh, I wonder if this place would um, do good if we actually started it up again. I, I wonder if the building owners would be open to starting this up and seeing what happens. So I contacted the building owners and I said, tell me the story, what's, what's up with the cafe? And he says, it's been standing empty. Mm, I must be in a hot spot right here. It's been standing empty for 10 years. It's like, man, 10 years? I mean, this is just, open. yeah, 10 years. Back in the recession, 2008, 2009, um, when the building emptied because all the companies folded, um, it was unsustainable, and so the cafe people moved out, and it's just been empty. I said, what are you planning on doing that? He says, I got no, no idea. Do you have any ideas? I said, well, actually, yes. I would love my daughter to learn how to uh, be a business owner, to you know, kind of be able to control how much she earns and, and learn the skills of running a company. And I've got those skills, but she's been working in bakeries and cafes and she knows how to actually make the stuff. And so I said, what do you think? And he said, it would be fantastic. We would love to have that. In fact, we'd love to have it so much, we'll actually give you this space for free for a couple months just to test it out and find out, will this work? Because we didn't know if we'd have enough traffic, we don't know if there'd be enough um, people coming through to make it sustainable, because it's in one office building, it's not on a street, there's no like walk-up traffic, no one's driving to it like your local Starbucks. So we took about a month and we put all the business stuff together and we launched this thing and we didn't have to bring much in. We had to bring in a, a new refurbished espresso machine, a couple coffee grinders and a hot water tower. And I had to do some plumbing to just hook all these things up. All the plumbing was there, I just had to hook it all up. And about three days before we got started at about two in the morning, I don't know whether it is something special about that two in the morning range. For me, it's actually 2.36 every night, 2.36 if my brain is going. I woke up in a dead panic because I, I was going, oh my gosh, did I hook up that water right? Is there water pouring all over the floor? Am I flooding this new building? I am gonna be responsible for all sorts of financial damages. I can't believe this. And I actually moved into a panic. I started to like, there's no way in the world I'm going back to sleep at that point. And the cafe is about 10 miles from my house. And for me to be able to get 
peace for me to be able to relax at 2.30 in the morning. I got up, I put on my clothes, I got in my car, and I drove down to the cafe to make sure there wasn't water spilling everywhere. There wasn't, good news. And so I close up the shop, I drive back home, and I'm able to go to bed because my eyes have confirmed I didn't mess up, I solved the problem, I was able to confirm that everything was okay. Until Friday night. Friday night, I wake up at two in the morning and we actually brought in a little hot plate so we can make some breakfast sandwiches and stuff like that. And at two in the morning, for whatever reason, my, well actually I'll tell you the reason, um, my brain said, oh my gosh, we left that hot plate on and we're burning the building down. What are we going to do? So what do you think I did? You would think I got up and drove down there. This time, I didn't. This time I said, you know what? I wanna handle this differently. I was telling my daughter about this today and she goes, wouldn't it be nice if there was like a class on anxiety you could go to and maybe learn how to handle some of this? You should come on Monday nights so and hear there's this thing that we can do together. So tonight I wanna walk you through how I went from having to get in my car and drive down and confirm because that makes life really inconvenient at times. Would you agree? Having to get up and drive all over town to make sure you know things aren't flooding or things aren't burning down. Or if you're parents, any parents, when they get a newborn and you have a hard time sleeping because you're afraid something's going on with the little kiddo. And it's like, you have to check on them and then check on them and check on them so you can't get a good night's sleep and your brain won't turn off and you're always trying to um, make sure that they're safe. That gets exhausting in life. And so I want to be able to teach you tonight an entirely different way of handling that so that on Friday night, I didn't have to get in the car and I didn't have to drive down to the building and I was able to get back to sleep. Do you guys like to know how to do that? Yes. Fantastic. I think that'd be time well spent. Here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do, if you wouldn't mind. We're going to do a little review. What were the... Um, two things that are the primary cause of anxiety that we haven't been able to find something else that falls into it. What are the two things that typically cause anxiety from last week? Fear of loss and not being able to do problem solving. Does that sound familiar? Is that resonating with people? And those things, um, The problem solving, we're trying to scan the environment for what? Danger. Danger. What else? Why? Why are we scanning the environment? Safety. Safety. A little bit more. Familiarity. Familiarity. That's very good because we are planning worst case scenarios that are based upon what? Past experiences. Our brains are smart, and they're going, you got burned before, don't get burned again. It's actually a good thing that our system has in place to learn how to do, because if we didn't, then we keep putting our hand on the stove and burning it over and over because our short-term memory doesn't register. And so we end up getting injured in the same way over and over and over again. Those two things, fear of loss and not being able to problem solve, are actually rooted in one main theme that Lacey told us last week about. It's her fault. Control. That word. 
when I was able to get in the car and I was able to drive down to the cafe and I was able to confirm it was not flooding, guess what I gave myself? Because I could do something about it. I was there. I was able to prove to myself I was doing everything I could to get control back in my life. That's how big of a theme this is. Again, does anyone come up with a problem or the anxiety issue that doesn't fall into those two categories? Fear of loss or not knowing how to problem solve? Does anyone else have one that you want to say, yeah, Paul, what about this? Because I want to be able to answer your specific questions that you have. Nope, no one? Okay, be thinking, be true. Oh. Like hold on, 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 hold on. Gonna, can we use this one? Does this one work? I'm going to try this. I'm going to get my steps in today. There you go. Um, try it. I don't know if it's on. Testing? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think you touched on this last week already, but like differentiation or like being super um, empathic or yes. like that maybe you could try to tie it into ineffective problem solving or loss of personal identity, but it, it's another like... Piece, it's guess. another piece. So this, this highly empathetic, I can actually pick up and feel other people's anxiety, and so I start to wear it. Does that sound similar to what you're describing? Yeah, just, <clears throat> inability to differentiate. Yeah, inability to differentiate is usually rooted in, if I let this person hurt who's sitting next to me, how does that make me look? Terrible, cold, unkind, mean, rude. And what do I want to control? What others think of me. See? Keeps coming back to the same themes over and over and over again. Because we don't want to be that cold, callous person. Usually because when you have been in pain, someone has not heard, listened, or validated you in your experience. And so you've made a promise in your head, I will never be that person. I'm not going to let someone else hurt. I'm going to make sure that they know that I hear them and I see them. And when you experience that, you go into professions that oftentimes promote that. I once ran a challenge course with about a dozen women, all with a sexual abuse history. Nine of the 12 were nurses. Do you think that that's a mistake? Is that just random? It's a very popular um, career choice for individuals who have had some sort of trauma history. They want to make sure they can take care of other people. They're working out their stuff. The other industry that uh, wounded people go into? My job. <laughs> Counselors. I don't know if that's good news or bad news. That's why you want to find a counselor who's actually done their work because you don't want them doing their work on your dime. It gets weird, okay? It's just odd. So. So here's what I'd like you to do. Now that you are best friends with someone in the room here, would you be willing to share with them, here is the piece, the anxiety piece. I know, it's really sad, buddy. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Thanks for coming. Um, would you be willing to share with them, here's the thing that I am... Uh, anxious about, that my brain is kind of preoccupied with, that I'm having a hard time turning off. Again, you don't have to back up the truck and download your whole life story. I'm not asking you to over-express or overshare anything. But I would wonder, are you able to let people start seeing what that is so you're not sitting in it by yourself anymore? Does that sound like 
complete, if it's completely overwhelming for you, if it's like, absolutely not, I am not gonna do that, then you can do the traditional, I think that right now is a really good time to start taking notes and just start writing or get on your phone or do something else. And that's the nonverbal cue that, say, that tells everyone else, don't talk to me, I'm not ready to share. And again, that's okay, you're allowed to do that. But if you would be willing, I'd like you to find someone in the room here and go, here's the piece that I'm trying to work on. Here, after this series, here's the anxiety piece that I want to be able to have reduced. Does that make sense? This was your homework. I wanted you to pick the thing that is causing the anxiety. Questions? Ready, break. Perfect. Are you guys finding out that you might have some similar themes going between your stories? Might be totally different, but chances are you're gonna find out that you're not the only one sitting in the room experiencing or feeling that particular anxiety or fear or panic or whatever it is you're kind of worried about. What were some of the ineffective um, solutions that we kind of looked at last week? We ran through a whole gamut of them. And again, they typically are uh, not addressing the core. They can be helpful as a Band-Aid or a symptom relief, but they don't actually remove or reduce the anxiety altogether. And that's what we're looking to do, is not just have symptom relief. We're looking to have solutions. But what were some of the uh, ineffective solutions we played with last time? Avoidance, fantastic strategy. All the YouTube videos I showed you. Meditation, that was one, yes. You guys didn't know there was gonna be a quiz, did you? See, more anxiety. Meditation, medication, and meditation, sometimes together. Re reading, breathing. Reading's good too, but breathing, yes. Breathing was a big popular one. Staying busy, popular one, very popular one. Diet, yep, five foods to take away your anxiety. Pray, that's a great one. Walking, exercise, yeah. Sounds like I'm hearing some of the favorites that you guys have kind of go back to and, and use over and over and over again. Sunshine, that's a great one. We didn't actually talk about that, but that's huge, okay? Yoga and essential oils, or um, now legal herbs that tend to kind of work as well. All these things. I want you to introduce you to um, a different style tonight. We're gonna call it the counterintuitive solution. This is the one that most people go, I don't know, Paul, I don't know if I'm gonna buy what, you are, what you're selling here, but we're gonna try it and see how it works out, okay? Um, anyone heard the term anxiety attack or panic attack? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? When you hear the word attack, what stirs up in your system? Fight. Fight or flight, correct. Or what's the last F? Freeze. Actually, I learned there's a fourth. How about that? I'll have to tell you what it is later, okay? Um, but anxiety attack. When you believe that your body or your system is being attacked, what do you want to do? You want to fight back, you want to flee, you want to get out of there. How, how comforting, how peaceful does that feel to you typically? It doesn't work, does it? It keeps you stuck in that thing. Um, 
Carl Jung, guys know who Carl Jung is? He created a lot of archetypes. He actually, his research was some of the stuff uh, around the Myers-Briggs 16 personality stuff. He says, what you resist not only persists, but will grow in size. When we are being attacked, we put our armor up and we go, I don't want to be attacked. We start to fight it. We start to push against it. And when we do that, we give it so much power, we give it so much attention, we give it so much energy that he says um, it actually starts to grow. Doesn't that seem weird? Because our brains want to go, I don't like this. So I better scan the environment. I better focus on it, become hypersensitive to it, be hyper attentive to it so I can make sure it doesn't sting me. It doesn't come out and bite me. But if you keep having all that energy going towards it, that's what causes us to get stuck in anxiety loops or panic attacks or all these other things. Instead, I want to teach you that you, you want to learn how to handle your problems, not let them go. That's a very important distinction. I want you to learn that you can handle your problems. So even in church, we hear a lot of this, just let go and let God, right? You know, Jesus take the wheel. That's how we can handle our problems, isn't it? I mean, it's a popular song. It must work, right? But letting go, how many of you have a hard time letting it go? Yeah, okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm freaked out about this, and I'm, I'm supposed to just let it go. No, 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 no. I want to teach you that you can actually handle your problems. We're actually going to solve the problems. You can actually find the solutions. You can actually become empowered enough to go, we're going to um, not be held captive by this any anymore. So we're going to try something that's called acceptance-based solutions. It's a counterintuitive, Paul, I'm not so sure if I like this idea, but we're going to give it a try anyway, solution. Acceptance-based solutions. Came up with a new phrase, speak out to reduce the freak out. First part is, um, if you can speak out, to reduce the freak out. This is why I'm asking you guys to talk to each other. Um, my son, my 20 year old, recently purchased a new car, a uh, new car to him. It's actually about 20 years old. Um, he likes working on old cars. We like fixing them up. And he's had a couple cars now. And he always says, Dad, come with me. Come take a look at this car. I want to make sure it works OK. Mechanically, it's fine. And we went and looked at it. And it seems to be a really good car. And once again, um, middle of the night, about two in the morning, I wake up going, oh my gosh, did we miss something? Oh my gosh, um, are we gonna get burned in some way? And this one, I wasn't able to get turned off at night. And so the next day, my wife and I were out running errands and I wasn't with her. Mentally, I was problem solving. I was troubleshooting. I was trying to go, I heard that strange noise in the engine. What was going on? Was there something I missed? I was so preoccupied with this that my wife and I, as we're going around, she goes, honey, are you okay? What's wrong? And I said the thing that everyone says when they get that question, which is what? I'm fine. Lied through my teeth. And I tried to go through my day. And about 20 minutes later, I said, actually, hold on. We need to, you know, let's stop whatever we're doing at the moment. Let's just go sit down. Here's where my mind is at. And I took about 10, 15 minutes and basically verbalized everything that was in my head. I heard a noise. I wonder if, you know, this car was good for him. I wonder if it was a good step up or if it was a good step backwards. I wonder if he wasted his money. I wonder if he paid too much. I just went through the list. 
and I got it out of my head, I spoke out to reduce the freak out. It kind of doesn't work that way, but you speak out to reduce the freak out. And the minute I did that, it only took about 10 minutes after that, that my internal system went, ah, okay. Now, did anything change in reality? Everything was the exact same, but it was my internal perception and processing that I was able to change. Now again, we tend to avoid things that are causing distress in our system. So we shut down, we withdraw, we run away, we don't want to talk about it typically. We also don't want to talk about it, why? Judgment from? Anybody. Because if we are struggling with something, it makes us what? Vulnerable, weak, there's the W word, and we love being that around other people. It's like, please, I'll sign up for that class. Let me have you look at me and think that I'm weak. We want to control our perception. We want to, we want to make sure that our ego isn't being threatened in some way. See how it starts to play into that? But if you can do something that's counterintuitive and, and sit down and go, I'm just so distracted with this right now and I just want to line out everything that my brain is doing. It doesn't have to be cohesive. It doesn't have to make sense. Your brain can jump around because that's what's happening inside your head, right? You're just bouncing from topic to topic to topic and, and it's occupying that space. So first one is speak out to reduce the freak out. Um, the second one is just one of the craziest and most amazing um, experiences that you can do. And I can't wait for you guys to get totally stressed out this week so you can go, oh, isn't this wonderful? I get a chance to practice this. Yay, thanks so much. This will be great. It's called the burnt toast technique. Burnt toast technique. In our brains, we have smoke detectors, okay? Let's actually imagine we have in our brains, we have one smoke detector, but let's have two smoke detectors to begin this story with. One smoke detector is very, very sensitive, and it will detect any smoke at all, so that if you are just cooking meal and you put the toast to have you know, eggs and bacon and toast, and you just leave it in for that extra five seconds too long, and a little whiff of smoke comes out, and that smoke detector goes off, and it starts to blare, and it starts to just uh, uh, tell you, danger, danger, danger. You have that smoke detector in your house, or you have the smoke detector that rarely goes off. In fact, it's not very sensitive at all. You can, you can have the Yule log right underneath it and it doesn't, doesn't light up at all. It rarely goes off. Which smoke detector do you want in your house? Right? We want, we want to make sure that we don't put ourselves into danger again. And so we would usually say, I want to have a smoke detector that's going to alert me to any problems out there. But the problem is, false alarms sound the same as real alarms, would you agree? And you don't always know right away, am I actually in danger? All you know is your brain is going, run away, run away, danger, danger. Be careful, panic, avoid, fight, whatever that is. False alarms sound the same as real alarms. And our brain is called your amygdala. It's this little thing that actually bypasses the frontal cortex of your brain, which is the logic, rational thinking portion. And it's the thing that triggers your, your neurochemicals and all the chemicals in your body to turn on. So it's the reason why you can go on a hike 
and when you're hiking and you see the snake that is on the path in front of you that you're about to step on, that you all of a sudden jump back and get out of the way and make sure that you're safe and it's not gonna bite you. Can you imagine what would happen if you go, oh, there is a snake. I better turn on my adrenaline system. I better um, jump back as fast as I can. I better get myself as safe as possible. If you had to go through that logical, rational choice, you're bitten three or four times by that time. <laughs> so your amygdala goes, danger, danger, and react, move. And then once you step back, you can go, oh man, it's actually not a snake. It's just a stick that is sitting on the path and it looked like a snake that was gonna bite me, but it's actually not. And your logical uh, prefrontal cortex comes online again and helps you decide what to do in that situation. But when we have these alarms going off all the time, we get panicked, we get anxiety. Is that making sense? So here's what we want you to do. Well, actually before that, um, you're not actually being attacked when you have an anxiety attack. You're not actually being attacked when you have a panic attack. I want you to consider that. You are not, your body is not harming you. You're not being attacked. It's not like an animal that's coming to, to harm you. But when we even use that language, it now wires us to go, I better be ready because this is something that's happening and I don't want it to happen. And so I better fight it. And again, see how you get stuck in that? So. We're not gonna call it panic attacks. We're not gonna call it anxiety attacks. We'll call it something else, but we're not gonna call it that because you're not being attacked. Isn't that good news? I actually sit with a lot of clients who are at war with their system. They're at war with their body. They're going, I don't like these sensations and I wanna to try to make them stop. And they actually use pretty aggressive language. They're, you know, you're so stupid. I mean, this is no big deal. Why are you doing this? I can't believe it. You're just, why are you doing this? Why can't you get over it finally? What's your problem? If I followed you around doing that, hey, by the way, you're kind of freaked out right now. Do you know you're kind of stupid? How much would you enjoy having me follow you around? Yeah, I'd get an elbow in the face is what I'd get pretty soon. It's like, leave me alone. But when we do it to ourselves, we actually go, well, that's normal. And that's actually going to help me that actually triggers survival mechanisms. It doesn't trigger learning or changing or problem solving mechanisms. Um, here's what's crazy. When you're having these sensations, when you're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack, all it is is heightened bodily sensations. Heightened bodily sensations. And did you know a lot of you pay really, really good money to have the exact same sensations for free. I mean, for, for on purpose, not for free, you gotta pay for it. You pay really good money to have those exact same sensations. You know where? Right there. Those are their feet sticking out. Why people do that, I don't know. They're barefoot, most of them. Barefoots and socks and everything else. Roller coasters. Why do we do roller coasters? Adrenaline rush. We want to put ourselves into a perceived dangerous situation, but our frontal brain is going, but I know this is safe because they wouldn't be allowed to do this if they keep, you know, it's a one-way trip for people. That would be odd. But it's the exact same sensations. Isn't that fascinating? So the next time you have some sort of panic attack, go, woohoo! I get this for free. I just saved 120 bucks at Disneyland. 
this is awesome. And all I gotta do is, you know, call my mom or, you know, talk to family members or go have a meeting with my boss. This is great. Bo yeah, have a meeting is like Disneyland. Yes. Yeah. And is that a pleasant experience? No. no. Why? Why? Because I've just lost control of everything. There's the C word again. Did you hear it? I just lost control of everything. And our brain is wired for, I want control. I want control. As much as possible, in any way possible, I want to get that control. So, here's what I want you to do. And it's going to be really, really, really strange. Okay? To get what you want, you have to want what you get. This is the exact opposite to the um, idea that what you resist persists. Instead, to get what you want, which is what? Peace, calm, tranquil, acceptance, those things. You have to want what you get. And sometimes what you get is involuntary. You get that beating heart. You get those sweaty hands. You get those racing thoughts. You get that little tummy thing going on. You get that tension in your back. Heightened bodily sensations. That's all it is. This is weird, isn't it? So, to get what you want, you have to want what you get. If you want to think of it another way, push the burnt toast back down. It's burning, the alarm's going off, and, saying, and that's when you can go, I know that I am safe. Just like on the roller coaster, I know that I'm safe. I'm going to push it back down, and I'm going to let the alarms blare. I don't have to go running out of the house every time as if I'm going to die. I am going to ask for more of the sensations. What a weird idea. I am freaked out. I am uncomfortable. I don't like this. I know what's going on. And instead of resisting it, I'm going to ask for more. Not just even accept it. Okay, accepting is one thing. I want to ask for more of those sensations. More of that stomach ache. More of that panic. More of that tension. This is what got me through Friday night when at 2.36 in the morning I wake up and my brain, for whatever reason, is thinking, oh, we left the hot plate on and we are burning down the building and is our insurance going to be enough to cover it? I sat there, actually I didn't sit there, I got up, I went and got a drink because I had to change my state and then I said, I am panicked right now and, and I don't have to go down and make sure the building is okay. I am willing to let it burn down. I might have forgotten it. It might, have, might be happening. There's nothing I can do about it right now. I'm willing to let the building burn down because I'm sick and tired of being afraid. I'm sick and tired of having this anxiety. So I didn't get in the car and I didn't drive down there. Yes? Yes. Can you give, are you willing to give me a little more specifics? Yeah, if you have like a disease, then how do you... How do you deal with health issues and a disease?
my back issue. Again, I have a prevailing medical issue that prevents me from doing a lot of things in my life. And at first, I did not want to accept the reality of the limitations that were put on me because I'm a relatively young person still and I want to be able to do all the things that I would enjoy doing. And I had to come to terms and say, I will accept, if we want to go back, I have to accept what is happening. This is what I get right now. I can't mow my lawn. I can't work on the deck. I can't stand for more than two hours. I can't do all these things. I will simply accept what's happening to me and give up that control. And again, that doesn't mean I give up solution, trying to find solutions. I'm still going to the doctor. I'm still having MRIs. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. But I am not held captive to the, I can't believe this is happening, and I've got to make sure this is stopped some way, and I'm going to go in kicking and screaming. It's very, very uncomfortable to come to that level of acceptance, because it's actually what it is, it's the grieving process. I am losing freedom, virility, um, ability, all these things, and we hate it. Especially something like medical things, we believe we should be able to control our body that way. We eat healthy. I mean, you've, you've all seen kind of the, the strange um, um, oxymoronic uh, stories where you have the person who drinks brandy and whiskey and smokes cigars all day and they live to be 110. And then you have the people who are eating kale and, and broccoli and, and you know nothing else and they get cancer at 52. It's like, What's up with that? In our brains, we have this, I've done everything, I've controlled everything, and therefore, I should be able to experience the consequences of my choices. And sometimes our health and our body doesn't play along. And we hate being out of control. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, chronic pain um, is incredibly difficult. And again, I'm not minimizing it. Um, and it's wise and responsible to do things to mitigate it, but you have to accept it and say, this is my new reality. You got a question? Yeah. Um, I just, I, I feel like you kind of lost me um, on the slide that said you're not being attacked. Because I, I feel like I, I am being significantly harmed by things in, in my life that I can't control, and it happens every day. Yes. Um, so to tell me to ask for more of that, I, I think yes. kind of have lost time. And that's hard. I'm going to step back so that's not happening. Events are real. People can be incredibly hurtful. Um, circumstances can be crappy. I'm not, not minimizing that at all. What I want you to understand is your body, your system is not attacking you. That fight or fight or flight or freeze thing is not the enemy, okay? It might be the person out here who's hurting you or the circumstances over here that are really, really difficult. Those things are real. Those are real attacks. And back to that responsibility piece we talked about last year, last week, last year. Wow, it has been a long week. Last week, it is responsible to now explore everything that you can do to remove yourself from that situation um, that, again, within reason, um, handle the situations, problem solve the situations, but I don't want you to be at war with yourself. Does that make sense? There are a lot of circumstances which are incredibly painful, 
And that helplessness that we experience at times with that is, is exhausting. But your body, imagine that when you are, when you're not with the person who's been causing all the harm, but they don't need to be there. They might have been out of your life for 10 years, and yet you're still having the argument in your head with them, trying to win, or trying to prove, or trying to be safe. They don't even need to be there for you to have that battle and that anxiety. I want you to be free of that. Now, if they happen to show up on your doorstep and they're knocking on the door, yes, Again, that's actually fear. That's not anxiety. That's fear. That's a real threat that you need to deal with, but that's real time, real problem. Problem solve the best way you can. Get out of it. But I don't want you to be at war in your body anticipating that knock on the door and it never comes. Does that make sense? Any other questions around some of that? Because I want to make sure you're clear on that. You're not under attack. Your system isn't attacking you. Back to the story with um, the, the, the cafe burning down in my head at night at 2.36. For me, it absolutely comes back to this concept of control because when I am worried that the cafe is, is, hasn't been shut down correctly, what is actually happening in that moment is, is I am questioning my daughter's competence, right? Do you mind? We actually had this problem because um, I was in, it, it's really odd to be both business partners with your daughter and to be father-daughter because at sometimes the dad hat gets put on, I'm in dad mode, and sometimes I'm in business mode with my daughter. And so dad mode is I'm the guy who goes around and, and locks up the house at night, make sure everything's safe. I make sure that the garage doors are closed and the cars are locked and the house is locked and the TV's turned off and the lights are off and the refrigerator's closed. And I have this little path I do every night because number one, it makes my wife feel safe. And number two, it makes me sleep better at night. I actually, I touch it, okay? Four knobs on the stove, they're turned off. I know that the house isn't gonna burn down when we're gone. Whew. And I have control over that because I have looked at it. My eyeballs have been on it. And so when I'm in dad mode, when we were first running the cafe, guess what I would do near the end of the, end of the day when we were getting ready to close up shop? I am doing the perimeter check. I'm checking all the equipment. And kiddo, how did that feel? Not great. Why? Um, it really made me feel like I was stupid. Like, yeah. you know, do you know how to turn off a knob? Do you know how to push a button? It's like. Yes, yeah. I know how to do those things. But the fact that you would go past after I had turned everything off to double check, it was like, um, excuse me, don't you trust me? There I we go. I think that was the big thing. Yeah. And my daughter had to call me on it. Dad, you're bugging the crap out of me. Stop it. And then I had to take the dad hat off and put the business hat back on and go, you're right, I'm being a crappy business owner right now. I need to trust my business partner in this endeavor that she is capable and competent because I want my daughter to know that her father sees her as capable and competent. And so I'm willing to sit in that fear and let the place burn down and then I'll blame her. It's easier that way. No. I have to give up that control. See, even if I teach the class, I still have to give up the control. And at Friday night, I, I, out loud, I said it out loud, Michael is capable and competent. She knows what she's doing. 
It's all set. It's all taken care of. This is old stuff in my head that, that says I want to make sure that everything is safe and I'm willing to let the building burn down and I'm willing to let my body get into that heightened state even more. And I was up for probably an hour and when that happens, I usually get up and I work on my computer or I'll just you know, watch something on Netflix that's just easy to get my brain to calm down and then I fall asleep and go back to bed. But I'm willing to let it all fall apart because I want my daughter to know I trust her. And it was fine. She's a good, capable, competent business owner. She runs it just fine. There was no problems at all. But our own insecurities can actually send uh, con contrasting messages or conflicting messages to those we care about the most. Anyone ever run into that before? It's kind of frustrating, kind of disappointing. So, smoke detectors going off because you simply burnt the toast. There's no real danger, not your situation, there's no real danger. And so you can go, okay, my body is elevated. This is just like a roller coaster. I'm going to ask for more. I'm gonna put the toast back down and I'm gonna let it blare. I'm gonna listen to it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear the tones of the, of the smoke detector, but I don't have to run away from it. And the minute you do that, what tends to happen is, um, um, let me get to the right place here. When you're trying to force an involuntary process, you can inhibit it. When you try to force an involuntary process, panic is an involuntary process, but when you say, I'd like more, please, that's like sitting there at night going, fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep, hurry up, fall asleep. Can you actually make yourself fall asleep by doing that, typically? It's actually a technique um, for people uh, with hiccups. It's like, okay, I'm actually gonna try to make myself hiccup right now. And what, when we try, try it, it's kind of weird. When you do that, oftentimes the hiccups will actually go away. Because when you try to make it happen, it actually stops it. Um, sneezing is one of those things as well. I'm gonna try to make myself sneeze right now. You can't do it. All these things that are involuntary, when you try to make it happen, it actually stop. The same thing works with panic, with anxiety, with that, with that mistimed problem solving. Isn't that fascinating? Weird, isn't it? Thoughts or questions around some of this? Yes, please. Is it just that you're more mindful of what's happening? And so, I don't It's not a well-formulated question, but I'm just curious about, like, like why that works. <laughs> Is it's it just because I'm more aware of, like, the sensations in my body, and so then through, like, being present with what's actually happening, then I have the power to make it stop, or? It gives you control the very thing that you are afraid of. Because when you go, I am having a panic attack. Again, I'm not being attacked, but my body is freaked out right now. I fully admit it. I don't have to keep it inside. I'm not gonna worry, worry about what I look like. Hey, everybody, I'm freaked out right now. Here's what I'm worried about over and over and over again. You kind of talk about that. You actually are getting more control over the situation. And then when you accept it, this is just what my body's doing. Anyone ever wake up in the morning, it's like, man, my, your shoulder hurts. 
and it's like, gosh, it doesn't feel right, or your, your knee is painful in some way. And you're going, I don't remember doing anything. I don't know why it's sore. I don't know why it's hurting. In our brains, the way it kind of our brains work, it is like, I can't remember what caused it, so I shouldn't be hurting. We actually try to talk ourselves into that. I shouldn't be in pain right now. Versus the reality of, man, I don't know why, but my shoulder hurts. I'm going to actually kind of take care of it. I'm going to, you know, put some ice on it or heat or whatever I got to do, but I'm going to accept what is happening to me. And when you do that, you have more control in your life, and your system now goes, ah, isn't this nice? Because anxiety is actually just, it is what a smoke detector is designed to do, which is danger, danger. I don't want you to get hurt. I want you to get out of here. It's a warning system. And so you have to be able to go, thank you very much. I appreciate you doing your job. You're a little zealous. You're going a little crazy trying to make it happen. That's really, really good. But I don't need you right now. I accept you. I'm not at war with my body. I'm not at war with my system. Thank you very much. Thank you for the panic. Yeah, that's the response a lot of people get. You're crazy. Thank you for the panic. Thank you for the fear. Thank you for the stomach ache. What? No, I don't like this. I don't want it. And you resist it, and it gets bigger. Oh, I forgot the microphone. <clears throat> Yay, you like the microphone. It's fun. Um, maybe this is going overboard. Okay. But, like... I'm trying to use your cafe, and I can't quite relate that to something that I am working through. So, but what, what about like, you're, in, you're anxious about one thing, and then you make a list of all the other terrible things that could go along with that. Like, is that allowing that to happen, or is that feeding anxiety. Like, here's what I'm anxious about, and here's like the 10 other things that are even worse than right. the thing that I'm worried about. Does that make sense? A lot of people think that that is feeding anxiety. It's only feeding anxiety if you let it be anxiety. But when you go, I can't help it. My brain is already there. It's already running through these things. I'm going to simply write them all down. I'm going to acknowledge that they're there, and I'm going to to pay attention to it, then you can decide what to do with it. Is this real? Is this valid? Is it not valid? Um, do I have control over it? Do I not have control over it? But your body actually is looking for what I call congruence. What's on the inside is now on the outside. When you do that, your body, your system goes, ah, oh, that's nice, be instead of being conflicted, which is what's on the inside is different than what's on the outside. That's what happens when you have that person come up to you, you don't really like them, but it's a socially appropriate thing to kind of be talking to them and being, being polite to them or being kind to them or being overly kind to them. But inside you're going, I don't like this person. I, they're just, they bug the crap out of me. I, don't, I wish I wasn't talking to them. That's conflicted versus, and again, I'm not recommending this. Don't do this in most social circumstances going, hi, if the person comes up to you, don't talk to me. I don't like you, you have bad breath. Just leave me alone. Some people do that, and it's awkward and uncomfortable. Okay, I'm not recommending you do that, but when you can be honest with yourself and go, huh, after that exchange, that's probably one of the people I don't think I would pursue to have a deep personal relationship with. I, I'll have to run into them kind of here and there, but there's other people I'm gonna actually pursue friendships with. Your body then goes, ah, oh, isn't that nice? Congruence 
brings peace. It actually brings confidence as well. Here's the thing that... um, It's fun to watch how this works, okay? Here's a... To put yourself in the best possible position to change it or something, it's wise to accept what it is. Because again, if you're fighting it, if you're pushing against it, if you're going, I don't like this, are you in the space to actually solve the problem? No, you're at battle, you're off balance. And so the, to put yourself in the best possible position to fix or change or adjust or overcome, you might as well say, this is what it is. I'm gonna have to accept what it is. I've got a broken arm, I've got a sore shoulder, I've got a bad back, I've got a terrible diagnosis, I've got a horrible financial situation, I'm in a really difficult marriage, my kids are driving me crazy, my boss, I wish I wasn't working at this place anymore. And on, and on, and on, and on, and on. It's okay to say those things out loud in the appropriate context. Because then you go, okay, that's the reality. Now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do about it? The idea is to let the world come a-tumbling down. I talked about my son driving away on his motorcycle last time. Terrifying. Terrifying. And I can still remember going, I have to be willing to let my son die because I don't want to be the father who follows him around making sure that he's safe everywhere because that would just be weird at 22. He don't, probably wouldn't appreciate that, especially because he's in the military. They give him large, um, long-range weapons to fire. He's probably capable and competent in handling a motorcycle, and I have to accept the fact that he's good at that. Now, again, motorcycles and guns, it's different, but... Um, Here's one of the things that it comes down to, and the hardest part about the acceptance piece is it hurts. It's hard. It is uncomfortable. We don't like to say, I will let this pain be in my life. I want you to watch this video um, real fast. There's no sound to it, but I came across this and it blew me away and it changed everything about how I understand how our bodies and our system works. This is a a concept car by BMW called Gina. Gorgeous, isn't it? Fascinating. It never went into production, but this is the BMW Gina. What makes it so amazing is, uh, besides it just looking fantastic, is, Watch here, watch what it does. Watch right here. The car actually changes shape. Watch this fender. And back down. What, how does that work? Headrests come up out of the... Is this like the coolest car ever? Fascinating, watch the doors. Now you can see what's going on, can't you? What is, what is the skin made out of? It's a fabric. Doesn't that look like real skin on the body? It's like when your arm is bent? Look at that. Oh, my gosh. Some designer said, watch what I can do. This is cool. Absolutely fascinating vehicle. You can actually, uh, taillights are all uh, um, behind it. Headlights, oof, look at that. Now it's just showing off. Look at this. Lights go off. Doesn't that look like a face? 
And now, good night. Is that just the most cool car you've ever seen? Uh, they said that you can actually change the fabric out in about two hours. So if you want a red car for the weekend, just wrap it in a different color. Amazing. When I came across this car, I said it's the most organic vehicle I've ever seen. Again, you might find out that I actually like cars. I like cars a lot. Um, and I saw this. This is the most organic vehicle I've ever seen. How cool would it be if they actually designed it to be like human skin? Um, I actually have a huge nick out of my finger because I was grinding something and I touched the grinding wheel and I sliced a quarter inch of the skin out of my finger. But what's going to happen in two weeks to this wound? It's going to heal up, right? What if they could make that into this car where the fabric, if it got torn or got scratched or some way, that it could do what our skin does and it would heal back together? How would you drive that vehicle? I heard it, it was a seat. crazy. Why? Why would we drive it crazy? It would heal itself. We wouldn't care if it gets nicked or if it got dinged or if it got torn. We knew that it would look as good as new. Ladies and gentlemen, that is us. The designer said, I'm going to put you in a vehicle that will heal. You should have freedom. You should be able to go out and do lots of stuff. And you're going to get nicked. You're going to get scratched. You're going to get hurt. But we heal. And a lot of people don't trust that. We don't know that we won't be in pain forever. Isn't that a crazy concept? We are supposed to have so much freedom because we don't stay injured. And I know that we are trying to prevent injury by being obsessed by panicking and, and having anxiety and scanning the environment and making sure that nothing's gonna get us and being in as much control because we don't wanna get a ding. Get a ding, get a scratch, give it a try. You will heal. If you knew, hold on a second, Nikki. If you knew that the thing that's been causing anxiety inside you could actually heal, what would you do different? How would you approach it differently? Would you approach it differently? Would you try something different that you haven't tried yet? Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying it's comfortable, but it isn't permanent. Fascinating, isn't it? Let me take some questions here, and then I got something fun we're going to do. Let me, I lost the microphone. Nikki, hold on. How many of you would love to drive that car, by the way? It's a shame they didn't put it into production. I would have wished they would have. Yes, Nikki. Okay, you say that we have injuries that are all healable or whatever? Yes. I will forever have traumatic brain injury. Yes. I might forever have scars on my skull. Yes. I might forever have a feeding tube scar. Yes. So, yeah, I'm not forever ever going to be completely healed. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think? Thoughts? Because she's right. Traumatic brain injury is a permanent state. Or is it? Radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. What do you mean? Um, accepting fully that you're not going to get healed and 
um, and making the best of the situation that, that you're in. Yeah. And you can still function, you can still drive, you can still do a lot of things. Maybe not to the full extent that you could in the past, but it doesn't limit you as much as the anxiety and the panic would. You had some thoughts? It was just basically the same thing. It's what's your definition of healing? There you go. And I'm gonna make an argument, and this is where the really, really difficult um, super mojo solution, it comes in next week, because um, if we look at scripture, scripture gives us an incredibly, incredibly clear answer to Nikki's concern. Because if you happen to be a believer, and again, I'm not assuming that everyone in the room is, but if you happen to be a believer, you have a hope that you will not stay damaged forever. You might be damaged the rest of this life, but is that all there is to our existence? And do we have more hope? In fact, if you look at the number of verses and how much energy and time is spent with this concept of um, we will be healed, we have a hope, we can die to ourselves, we can do all these other things, and we will be free of all of this, and that's why we can endure all of this. It's riddled, riddled through Scripture, Old and New Testament. It's fascinating. That's what we're going to be looking at next week. We're going to do an in-depth, deep dive into what does ultimate healing actually look like, because for a lot of us, death is like, well, that's a deal breaker. If I die, then death wins. And again, if you are a believer, I would say, hmm, that might be just the beginning. And so why do we fear it? Why do we fear it for our children? Again, if you've been in past series, you've probably heard me talk about um, interviews uh, that I've watched uh, for parents from the Columbine shootings. And again, that was, what, 15, 20 years ago? And there's two very, very distinct groups of parents that were um, being interviewed. One is parents whose lives have been completely destroyed by this one event in one day. And they, uh, they, they are still in that active traumatic response. And then there's a whole other group of parents that, that they are at peace. They don't have the anxiety and the fear. And I was really curious as to why, what is it? That, that this group doesn't, doesn't have that resolution, and this group does. And when you listen to the way that they talk, the first group talks as if the pain is still happening to their son or daughter. I can see my son hiding in the library. I can see him laying on the floor bleeding out. It's as if it's just happening, even though that was 20 years ago. But it's still happening in their brain, and they can't move past it. The second group of parents go, my son or daughter was in pain for about an hour. They were scared for about an hour. It was so overwhelming, I wish they never had to go through it. But right now, 20 years later, they haven't been in pain in 20 years. They're doing just fine. In fact, they're probably doing better than I am. And I can accept, I can accept where they're at right now. And I have peace about that. I'm okay. Because I know that the pain ended. We heal. Sometimes that is in this temporal life, and sometimes that is an eternal type of healing. But we heal. Resigned that way. I would make an argument for that. 
Here's what I'd like to do. Questions, any other questions or thoughts? We're gonna go, again, deep dive next week into some of those concepts, so I don't wanna give away all the good stuff now. But any other questions or thoughts about some of this? Lacey, you got a question? Just a thought. Thought. That's okay, you can think out loud. I was just thinking, um, going along with the idea of it depends on your definition of healing. If we're operating under the idea that if I was truly healed, everything would be the same as it was before this happened to me, yes. then that's not achievable. But I think God's healing is more about redemption and it might not look the same as it looked before this happened to you, but there's also a lot of things that can come out of that that also weren't present before this happened to you. Yeah. So yes, you know, because of this experience, a lot of negative has happened and also, you know, if you view it with a redemptive lens, a lot of good has also potentially happened or will in the future. Yeah, yeah. again, we, we don't, sometimes we don't like change. We just want to stay where we're at. And I recognize that this message is hard to hear for a lot of individuals in this room because again, we have been told as Americans, as Western culture, we have power over our lives and we have the right to be as happy as possible. And that means no one can tell me what I can do and I should have control. That's the message we are sold. And I just don't think that it can be delivered on by anybody. I tell my kids all the time, again, I'm teaching my last one how to drive right now. You can drive perfectly 100% of the time and still get into an incredibly nasty accident because the guy next to you isn't driving perfectly. So trying to be under that much control all the time and demanding, and again, you demand it of your system. You demand it of yourself. I should be able to fix this. And if I can't, I'm not smart enough, or I haven't learned the magic technique, or I haven't found that person in my life, or I'm not, or I'm not capable, or it's my parents' fault, or it's this trauma, or it's da da We think that we should be able to solve it versus going, this sucks, I hate it, but it's in my life, I now accept it. And now that I'm accepting it, I'm going to find out how to be as responsible with it as possible so I can solve my problems. And again, that means I might need to get help but that help might only go so far. I need to get better answers. I have to try something that's uncomfortable. I have to talk to the person. I have to do whatever, whatever, whatever. That nasty thing of control, we really, really want it. <sighs> yes, hold please. And then I got um, some homework to do. Actually, it's homework in, in classwork. Um, I think something I'm wondering about is like, are we going to any more in the series, like delve a little deeper into like acceptance and grief and ways to, to do that? Or is that kind of like a totally different topic and subject? Because like, I can hear that like, yes, like everything that you said makes sense. Um, But like there's also another aspect of being like I hate this like yeah. and and so wanting to like it I don't think I even want to want to like what is um, and so like even in hearing you know different people share about like uh, different health things that don't seem like they're going to yeah. to end like 
it seems like this acceptance piece, it's a great, I think it's great and true to be like, oh, I need radical acceptance, but like the process of like really acknowledging like, I hate this, I didn't choose that this happened, I don't want this, I didn't, I didn't want any of this, like yeah. that process seems like significant. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. You actually use the word there of, I don't like this. And I want to be really, 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 really clear. Um, this acceptance concept doesn't mean that you like it. That's a feeling. Acceptance says, I allow it in my life. Again, I allow what's happening. I'm not going to be at war with myself. It doesn't mean you have to like it. There's a lot of things that you will never like, but you can still accept. Does that make sense? And that's a hard thing to do. But again, the reality is, what's the alternative? Trying to go kicking and screaming, trying to resist it, trying to get as much control as possible. You've seen those people, right? And they are exhausting, and they burn out, and they do everything possible to get that control so that they don't have pain. And we already know that that's not working. That's what's causing the anxiety. And so this is an alternative. And again, next week, we actually have an even greater resource to deal with that loss of control, this experience that I don't like. We have more resources, again, for those who are believers and who want to tap into Scripture and an eternal perspective that we can bring into this. It is fascinating what Scripture says uh, on how we walk through some of this. So we can go into it a little bit more, Aaron, afterwards or, or next week, but it doesn't mean you like it, but you can accept it. I'll give you a quick definition of grieving. Again, if you've been in past series, you've heard this before, but for those who haven't, um, my definition of grieving is really, 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 really wanting something that you won't get. If my wife is hit by a bus and dies, I really, 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 really want her back. And am I going to get what I want? And so the grieving process, the grieving process is the amount of time it takes for my system to go, this is my new reality. I, yesterday I woke up and she's in bed next to me and I can feel her and I come home and I see her and I, and I enjoy her presence and then I come home today and the house is empty. And my system is going, something is off. I'm missing something in my life. This feels so wrong, but after time, 18 months to two years, I wake up and I no longer expect her to be there. I no longer want to see her when I come home because this is my new reality. I've moved on and I can't speed that up. And believe me, I will not like that process. That's not fun. I don't sign up for that. But when it happens to me, I can go through it and I can heal. My heart will heal, because that's how God's designed us, is to heal, so we don't stay broken. Here's what I want to invite, um, 826. I'm going to give you two minutes, and I'd like you to kind of um, 
sit and chew and contemplate. If I were to practice this radical acceptance, if I were to practice pushing down the toast and saying, I want more of this panic feeling, I want more of this anxiety, I want more of these sensations, what would that look like? How would you experience whatever the, the issue is for you the, that's causing the anxiety? What would it look like on a practical level? And then, after two minutes, I would like to invite someone to come up and to sit on the stool with me. And if there's something that you would like help actually processing through, Paul, here's the situation. You want to be willing to give a little bit more details of what the exact thing is that you're experiencing in your life. Again, I'm not asking you to back up the truck and download your entire um, personal life. It's not what I'm looking for, but you can give a synopsis of what's causing the anxiety. And if you need help kind of figuring out what would that radical acceptance look like, or here's a hard thing I'm having, I'm having a hard time letting go of, or I don't know what to do with this problem. If you need some help with those things, um, it's an invitation for us to have a conversation, 10 minutes or so, on the stool in front of everybody while they watch, because the chances are what you are experiencing and what you're struggling with, someone is having some form or variation of that in the room here as well. That's just how the numbers work, and you might be able to provide some sort of encouragement. So I'm gonna give you two minutes to kind of chew and process. Yes? I'm just having anxiety with the story you just shared. Yes. Did my wife die? No. My wife is at home. I, I appreciate that very strong empathy piece. Um, no. My wife, as far as I know, is at home, happy. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. As a trauma counselor, I've heard story after story after story of things that is like, how in the world is this fair, God? How, how does, why does the world work this way? I don't like it, I don't agree with it, and I'm struggling with it. And when they come to counseling going, Paul, you have the answers. I have to sit there going, I, I don't have the answers as to why. I do have the answers of how to go through it, and it's gonna hurt like hell. But let's go through it together. That's the healing component of it. So, two minutes, and then if you feel like you're brave enough or you would like to take advantage of this, if no one wants to take advantage of it, then we'll be done a few minutes early and that'll be great. But I want to provide an opportunity. So, two minutes, I'll let you know when that time's up. Ready, go. You're welcome to talk with a neighbor if you need to, if you want to process that way as well. I mean, you don't have to do it totally silent. If you're welcome, if it's better to talk, you can do that too. All right. Is there someone who would like a little bit of extra help um, kind of talking through their piece of their story or would be willing to kind of share and, and go through? Again, I want to be as practical as possible. And if not, then we get to go home early. You want to? Okay. It's up to you. If you stand up, I'll say, come on up. Thanks, Holly. All right, everyone. Everyone say hi to Holly. Do you want to sit or stand? It's up to you. Okay. Holly, can you um, tell us uh, what is the general story that creates some anxiety for you? Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago, 
we got a dog who I loved and was my sort of emotional support dog. And about three months ago, uh, he got out of the house and got hit by a car. And he died. Oh, man. And, um, and I wasn't there when that happened. And so um, my 12-year-old son called me to tell me what had happened. And I was devastated. He was devastated. And then about two months ago, a month ago, we got a puppy. Really? And I am not with that puppy like three to four days a week because yes. I live here and my family lives in Springfield. Yes. And um, I have a really hard time not calling and making sure that my husband and my son are properly like caring for the puppy and yes. not letting it out and they're training it to not run out the door. And we are taking a trip in about three weeks yes. and I am going to have to trust a friend with my puppy. Yes. And um, this uh, it's very difficult because that the dog that I lost like got me through an incredibly different difficult time in my life and oh. so um, it it's all wrapped up in that like it's yeah. more than a puppy yeah so anyway so I am really struggling with anxiety about leaving the dog in the care of a completely competent adult who doesn't want to call me while I'm on vacation and tell me that my dog is dead. Yes. Like, she doesn't want to do that. She's going to be responsible, but I... Yeah. So what does it look like? If I was following you around, what would the behaviors that you are doing look like that you're trying to alleviate that anxiety? Um, so, well, the first thing that I do is when I start thinking about it, then I start replaying what it must have been like when my dog died. Yep. And that goes on and on and on. Yep. And, um, and then typically I will call my sister and she will kind of help like me ground a little bit. And, um, but I will call my husband and I'll be like, hey, what's Finn up to? Yeah. And I try to not be like, are you being responsible about Finn? I'm like, how's Finn? Yes. Yeah. Right? Because the passive aggressive way of checking up on things. Yeah. Right. Because it doesn't feel so great to him <laughs> for me to call him and be like, are you being responsible? Yes. With my yes. dog. I doubt your competency completely around the dog because you're the one who's going to end up with the dog dead again. That's great for couples relationships too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. It makes for a great marriage. Yes. Yes. So what would you um, like to be able to do? I would like to be able to um, trust that um, my husband and my friend are going to make the best decisions that they can. And as kind of horrible as that is to like trust that should something horrible happen, that I will be okay on the other side of it. And um, that's, I don't, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> that doesn't feel real. No. no, because you still have some other stuff activated from your first dog. What was his name? Cassowary. Casey. Casey. It was like one of those weird names. Cassowary? Cassowary. Cassowary. And it was, it was what kind of dog again? 
He's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Cute as a bug. Yeah. Yeah. And the dog that we got is um, from the same mom. Really? So like a half brother. Half brother. Yeah. Um, when you got the call that um, Casey had been hit. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it was horrible. Where um, were you? I, I had just gotten to our house in Portland and I was going out to feed the chickens and collect the eggs and I had just opened the door to the chicken coop and my phone rang and I thought, should I even answer this? Should I just call him right back? But I thought, this is weird. It's pretty late for him to be calling me. Yeah. So I picked up the phone and um, my son who doesn't do emotion at all, um, other than anger, he mm -hmm. does anger really well, mm -hmm. um, was sobbing on the wow. phone. And, um, and so then I felt like I had to be really calm and um, not have emotion about it. Yeah. In that moment. <laughs> Since then, have you given yourself permission to have emotion about it? Yes. 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 Where? Um, Driving in the car, in the shower, out in the yard again? Yeah, um, on the couch at home. Got it. Since I'm up here by myself, I have a lot of space to, yeah. like, to process things. And I contacted some really close girlfriends, and they kind of helped me through the initial piece of it. And, um, and then talking to my sister. Yeah. It actually got better. And then when we got the puppy, it got way worse again. Way worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what happened with the remains? Did you guys get them cremated? Uh, uh, he was cremated. Okay. Yeah, and we have a little. You have some little print, paw print. Okay. At the house. So what you're describing, Holly, is. Um, that scene is still a little bit activated for you because when you get that call and again you can tell exactly where you were and what you were doing um, what i'd love for you to be able to do is you go out there and stand right at that chicken coop and you remember here's how terrible that was and you say i am willing to have as much grief and loss and sadness i'm actually going to invite as much of that until I can't cry anymore. And that might take 10 minutes, that might take two hours. So a lot of, a chunk of time. Don't do it right before work, that's a little weird, okay? Um, give yourself the space and the time and just step back into, not even just on the couch, go to the exact space where you are standing. And what tends to happen is you're writing a new ending to the story because at that point you moved into, I have to be comforting, supporting mom because my son who doesn't have this reaction is having this reaction, but I am still heartbroken and I'm, I'm just, I'm grieving and I'm just in shock and all of this. And so I want you to have a do-over and you go back out to the chicken coop and you get to say, I will ask for as much sorrow and as much loss. And I want you to think about all of the things that you loved about him and that you don't get to enjoy anymore. And I want you to do that. You might have to do it a couple times. And what will happen is, when you go out there, pretty soon you're gonna go, oh, I'm just going out there and there's really no more stuff to cry over. You haven't forgotten it, 
But the goal is to be able to remember without re-experiencing. And that's what's happening with this anxiety is I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to re-experience it again. again. And so go out there, and again, two or three, four, ten times, whatever it takes, until you can just cry and you ask for more of that. And then, and then you do two other things. What's your new puppy's name? Finn. Well, his name is Jupiter Finvara McSnugglepants. <laughs> but we call him Finn. Finn. I'd call him Finn, too. Oh. Finn, um, I want you to do two things, especially on this trip. Um, and this is going to sound unbelievably strange and weird and, and um, different, but I want you to try it. When you go on the trip and you go drop them off at your friend's house, I want you to you know, grab his little scruffy face and go, if I never see you again, I have enjoyed having you in my life. Yeah. Notice that response that you guys are having right now, how hard that is to do. But again, that is the reality that could happen. It could be something happens to Finn or it could be something happens to them in travels and they'll never see each other again. And when you intentionally step into that, this is the worst case scenario and I don't want anything to happen, but I will accept it and I will actually invite more of it into my life, then your system goes, Okay, and then I want you to go turn to your friend and I, and I want you to go, I know you're gonna do the absolute best that you can. I, that's why we asked you to watch him. I, I trust you with this. And if anything happens, you and I will still be okay. And again, I might still be sad. I might not like it. This might not be comfortable, but I'm willing to let it happen. See how your system right now is going, no, 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 no. I don't like this. I don't like this. That is your, your survival brain kicking in going, I have to resist this. I have to fight it. It takes a little training to be able to step into this, but you can actually learn how to do this. Again, it's not easy. It's not fast, but it is possible. My wife and I have a really kind of morbid um, joke that we do all the time. Whenever we leave, I, mean, I did it just before I came here. Um, I got in the car. I go over and I give her a kiss and I go, in case I never see you again. That's how I leave her every time, in case I never see you again. Give her a big kiss and I drive away. Joking, but also maybe not so joking because I want her to know I love her and I might not ever see her again for a variety of reasons. Do you think that this seems anywhere within the realm of possibility? And then I got one other thing I want you to do. I am really good at doing your homework, so Okay, yes. you'll be willing to try it. Yeah. Um, down in Springfield, that's where he's at right now. Um, how far did your other dog have to go before he got hit? Was it right in front of the house? Did he? Right in front of the house. Like right in front of the house? Yeah. Okay. He saw a dog across the street and was like, friend. Friend, yes. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, I assume you're training Finn. You're trying to get him to be obedient, but he's a puppy. Yes. So that's like fun. Yes. Um, I want you to start playing with him in the front yard. Have a leash, okay? I don't want you to let him off and you know be running around in traffic. That's all I'm asking you to do. 
but I actually want you to go out and play with him in the front yard and, you know, get a long lead. It doesn't have to be, you know, a three-foot lead. It can be a long one. We sort of barricaded our front yard. I bet you did. We do that with our hearts all the time. We barricade our lives because we don't get it hurt again. And yet, I want you to be free. So again, you might have to adjust a little bit. But when you do this, number one, it'll change how you view Finn because you're going to find out, oh, he's a different dog. He's not replaying the same, the same scene. He might, you know, love the rose bushes and you go market and, you know, dig under the flower beds and everything else. He doesn't care about the street. You might want to take him over and let him introduce the dog across the street in a controlled way. And you get to redeem this front of the house. And again, write a new ending to the story. Because right now, the only story ending is dog got out, dog died, life is devastated. And this is a terrible thing to have happen. So when you write a new ending, and again, eventually, what I'd love for you to be able to do, and this is actually a dog training technique, because I actually love training dogs, it's a lot of fun, is you never, ever, 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 ever train a dog to do something in a, in a situation where if he disobeys, that he'll be in danger. So you never teach a dog how to sit and stay on the busy corner of a, of a street. But you do it in the middle of a field, so if he doesn't obey you and he goes runs and runs away, he's not gonna be hurt. And once you start practicing over and over, he's good at sit and stay. Sit and stay, and you know that he is good at that, then I want you to go back out front, and I want you to put him on the porch, and I want you to take two steps, sit and stay. And then go back in the little treat and try to come three steps out, and again, I want you to get free of that. I have to protect myself. Now again, that takes some practice, but you can get free of this. And you can let your dog be thin. And he's not the replacement surrogate of Casey. Does that make sense? Questions or thoughts around some of that? Thank you, Holly. Pets are important. I love pets. I love dogs. I think they're fantastic. So, sad story, isn't it? Sorry to hear that happened to you, Holly. Question, Nikki. Well, I just need to cry again. I haven't cried since my accident almost yeah. 12 years. That would be good to do. And if you can find a way to make that happen, good, um, sad movies, fantastic. I got a couple recommendations. No, they don't work. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll find something that will help it get, get resolved again. It's a weird thing that happens. Again, her son, which doesn't typically cry, it took this event and then it happened. So, any other thoughts or questions? What a great way to end an anxiety class this is on a terrible pet story. Oh man, again, thank you, Holly, for being willing to share. Um, homework, 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 and then we'll let you get out of here. Are you willing to speak out loud to another person the thing that scares you the most about your story? That this week, I want you to find a person and the speak out to avoid freak out. See if you can practice that in some way, somewhere, somehow. Find the person that you can do that with. Are you willing to do that? Speak it to another person. Are you willing to push the toast back down? Are you willing to say, I don't like this experience, but when I get triggered into something, I will ask for more. And again, this is to get you at peace with your body. I don't want you to say, 
the person in my life is abusing me. I want him to abuse me more. I want her to abuse me more. That's not what I'm asking. Let's be super, super clear about that. That is not healthy, okay? Be responsible, adjust the situation. But this is about the internal alarm bells that are going off, going, trying to prevent future danger or future damage. And then, are you willing to stop resisting and ask for more? Kind of the same question. How effective has it been trying to ignore or resist? That's the um, really kind of personal assessment question I want you to ask. If you've noticed, what does it cost you? What is this anxiety, this problem preventing um, tools that you've been trying? What has it been costing you? How effective has it been trying to ignore or resist? And are you willing to try something different? Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.